Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap. Today is Thursday, April 15th. U.S. retail sales are up, COVID deaths are down, and we're watching Georgia politics again. Georgia has become America's new Florida, or maybe it's new Ohio, the state at the singular center of American politics. As highlighted by former President Trump's continued broadsides against Georgia's Republican Secretary of State and Governor, plus a U.S. Senate whose Democratic majority owes its very existence to a pair of Georgia runoff elections. Lately, of course, the Peach State has been making headlines for a new voting law that Republicans argue is about integrity and Democrats argue is about suppression but which both sides agree is costing Georgia business. Will Smith, for example, just canceled plans to film a new movie called Emancipation in the state, citing the voting law that he called, quote-unquote, regressive. Again, all of this is Georgia-specific, but it has national resonance. Georgia's voting law, for example, isn't too different from voting laws under consideration in other states. Plus, state-level officials from throughout the country have been taking the lead on national issues, from COVID-19 response to suing big tech for antitrust violations. So we wanted to talk with Georgia State Senator Jen Jordan, a Democrat who opposed the new voter law and who this week announced her candidacy for Georgia Attorney General. If Jordan's name sounds familiar, it may be because you saw a viral video of her dissent in HB 481, an abortion law passed in 2019. We'll speak with her about Georgia's time under the microscope, the rising significance of state-level offices, and how running for those offices has evolved. We're joined now by Jen Jordan, who just announced her candidacy for attorney general of the state of Georgia. Was there a particular moment where in your brain you thought, yep, I'm running? And if so, what was it? You know, there were several. Being in the state Senate, we've been dealing with some difficult issues. And every time I kind of wanted to to do something about one of these issues, when I looked into it, really it was the attorney general of the state that had the power. For example, we have a plant here that is a medical sterilization plant that emits uh, ethylene oxide into the air. EPA said that there was a heightened cancer risk. It was a really big deal in my district, and people are really scared, understandably. So in Illinois, what had happened with the same plant is that the AG had come in and had shut the plant down for a period of time until they could work out some controls. I reached out to our current attorney general, really asked, asking for help, and he declined to do anything. You, you get a door in your face when, when you really need to help your people, and at some point, you're like, this isn't okay anymore, and if he's not going to do the job, then somebody needs to. You're running at a very interesting time, and Georgia seems to have become the kind of the center of our national politics. So I'm wondering, you're running for a state office, but do you feel to a certain extent you're also running on a national level? No, I'm not running on a national level. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that the state of Georgia is, is very big and very diverse. But I think that people are really interested in Georgia and in kind of the politics of what's happening is because we're really kind of a microcosm of what's going on at the national level. And it's playing out in real time. Like even in the legislature uh, this past session with the voting bill that is really bad, right? All of that came from kind of uh, Trump, you know, telling Georgia officials to find votes for them and, and to overturn or, or not certify the election results. So 
You're right. I mean, we have been under the microscope. People are watching, but no, listen, at the end of the day, I am, I am here to be an attorney general for the people of the state of Georgia, and that's who I'm going to, that's who I'm going to be communicating to. Attorneys general throughout the country, Republican and Democrat, for example, you know, are suing Facebook or, or get involved in national le- issues. I, I guess part of what I'm getting at, even beyond just Georgia, is have these state positions, and AG being one of them, become nationalized to a certain extent because a lot of the, at least the big headline things that they do are in coordination with other AGs going at big national issues. So I, I think that what we've seen is that at least under the last administration, there was basically a complete abdication of any check on anything. And so what then happens is there's a devolution down to the state level where you have state level AGs who have the power to be a check on special interests or or big business or whatever it is, or even the executive. And I think after what we've been through in recent history, I think we can all agree that, especially with respect to the executive branch, even at the state level, that's really important. And so I think you see state AGs basically um, kind of stepping up because, you know, we didn't have an AG at the national level doing it and kind of standing in the breach because somebody had to. You mentioned a little while ago the voting law. You were in the state Senate. What was it like being in the Senate while that passed and was being debated? You know, it, it's, it's like a tale of two cities. I mean, it's, it's two worlds. I remember a Republican came up to me after an impassioned speech by one of our older Black members. And um, he said, oh, I had no idea this was such a big deal to people. I mean, it, it really... It kind of clarified the moment for me because I'm thinking they think that this is just some kind of political football. You know, they're going to bring home something to their constituents. It's not a big deal to them in terms of what they're really kind of monkeying with, where the rest of us were just, you know, like, what are you doing? I mean, voting is kind of the right that all others comes from, especially with the history that we've had in Georgia in terms of, of suppressing the vote and, and, and trying to make sure people can't vote or making it as hard as possible. I mean, absolutely, people are going to get up in arms. And so it was a really kind of weird experience. I mean, I think they, they thought this was just some kind of political thing they were going to do, not understanding the true impact. Speaking of the impact, what, outside of voting, there's obviously been some economic impact, you know, talks of boycotts. Will Smith the other day pulled a movie, a upcoming film production out of the state of Georgia. What do you make of that? Because it, it seems to me that the Democrats in Georgia are in a, a tricky spot. On the one hand, you don't want bad things for your local economy and local jobs. On the other hand, those who are pulling out are doing so to, at least ostensibly, to put political pressure to change something that you guys want changed. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. Look, I'm a state senator, and at the end of the day, I don't want my people to get hurt, period, economically or otherwise. And so, you know, kind of my knee-jerk reaction is to say, you know, don't, right? Don't pull out because I don't want anybody to to lose money or, or whatever it is, kind of a bottom line thing. But also, I understand, especially in the state of Georgia, you know, our history in terms of the civil rights movement and how important economic pressure and boycotts were to that movement in terms of really affecting change. So what I'll say is this. I think that what Will Smith and them did, it, it, it keeps the issue top of mind, right? And so it continues to shine light on the fact that we have people in the state of Georgia, i.e. The, the Republicans that are in control, that are trying to keep people from voting or make it as hard as possible or, or to even change the election results. So for you then, if Will Smith came to you and said, Jen, 
I can't decide what to do. Do I pull out or do I film it in Georgia? You tell him what? Look, I'd say film it in Georgia, and let me tell you why. Because after HB 481, we had a lot of productions want to pull out. I talked to a lot of people on the phone, and, and my message to them was don't leave us, join us, right? Because at the end of the day, it really is about changing what's going on in the state. And the best way to do it is to be here. And I think what we saw from that is that we did have partners come here, stay here, especially with the film industry. And, and what happened? Well, what happened is we elected two Democratic U.S. senators and, and the state of Georgia went for Biden. So that is the result of people not leaving, but coming here and being a partner with us. If you were to become attorney general to win the primary, win the general election, part of your job, I think at least, would be to defend state laws. The new voting law is a state law. How would you handle that? So the attorney general is a really interesting role here in the state. And so uh, the attorney general can decline to defend a law if, if she believes that it's unconstitutional. And really, that's exactly what I would do. I think it's one of those things where the attorney general plays a really important role in terms of this law specifically, because there, there is a provision that there uh, would be a hotline you know, to the attorney general's office for investigations into voter fraud or suppression. I think in the GOP's mind, they were imagining um, a Republican attorney general, you know, kind of answering the phone. But if it's a Democratic attorney general who really does care about making sure that people can vote and securing the right to vote, those calls can end up in a really different result. Do you think uh, at state level, is it becoming increasingly important for candidates to kind of bundle their campaigns like Ossoff and Warnock did? Look, I think at the end of the day, anybody that's running, you're, you're just trying to get a message out and you're trying to connect with people. And so there are various ways to do it. I mean, for example, John Ossoff, I mean, my 12-year-old came to me all the time with his TikToks. And it was just one touch, right? And so you say, well, the average user of TikTok is 12. Yeah, but then the 12-year-old goes to the mom, goes to the dad. I mean, it's, it's trying to communicate and cut through the noise as much as possible. And in terms of bundling, I mean, what, what a dynamic pair, right? But it's also what Purdue and Leffler did as well. Not so great results, but, you know, it's kind of the same thing. It, it, it really is just about being out there and having people relate to you as best as possible. I guess kind of in the same vein. Have you personally been in touch with Stacey Abrams or, or Fair Fight? Of course. I mean, um, I talked to her before I jumped into this. You know, she's going to be at the top of the ticket. And I have a lot of respect for her. And she's very smart. So it was very important, you know, to make sure we had a conversation before, before you know, I made a decision. Did she give you any advice during that conversation? Or did you give her any? You know, I won't go into what we talked about, but I'll, but I'll, say this much is that primaries are good and they're just going to make us stronger general election candidates. Jen Jordan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it. Welcome back. What we're watching today is the CDC, which now says it'll wait around two weeks before reconsidering whether or not to unpause distribution of Johnson Johnson's COVID vaccine. If that timeline surprises you, you are not alone. Remember, on Tuesday, government officials said that the pause was only expected to last for, quote, a matter of days, while Biden COVID task force member Dr. Julie Morita told us on this show that she expected the CDC advisory committee to make some kind of determination yesterday, even if it was just a partial determination. But the CDC advisory committee didn't do that. It punted 
two more weeks, even though the only publicly available data shows that the chances of developing blood clots from the J&J vaccine are around one in a million, whereas the average chance of dying from a COVID infection is much higher. The bottom line, expect pressure on the CDC to only increase over the next two weeks, particularly if vaccination appointments prove hard to come by on Monday when laggard states, like mine, will open up eligibility to all adults. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Naomi Shaven, Sabina Singani, and Alex Sugiara. Have a great national banana day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.